AEW and John Moxley. John Moxley, who was actually on the Talk Is Jericho podcast, and let me tell you, people, that was that was definitely something that you have to watch and have to listen to. You can get Talk Is Jericho on any sort of podcast on iTunes, Spotify, I believe. Um, it's tremendous work by uh, the journalist known as Chris Jericho. Now, with this sort of podcast that just went out just this morning on May 29, 2018, 2019, Jesus Christ, it was by far the most revealing interview that I have ever heard in my new adventures as being a podcaster. And let me tell you people, the rumors are true. You hear anything about people being unhappy and any sort of report on a wrestler that doesn't agree with anything that Vince McMahon or any sort of, and I quote, writers with a plural, it is without a doubt, without a shadow of a doubt, very true. Thank you all very much for joining me here on my podcast and excuse my throat. I'm just getting over a cold, allergy season, I don't know what the hell it is, but everyone is definitely feeling the effects of it, but thank you all very much for joining me here on the PTP show, pardon the pipe bomb. It is May 29th, 2019, I got it right this time, people, and what an exciting week it was for pro wrestling, and it is just such a refresh, like, when you're on Google Chrome and then you just hit that refresh button and it fixes all the problems on your Windows screen, that's exactly how it felt this week. Last Saturday was pro wrestling. Yes, of course, there were flaws for AEW's Double or Nothing, but my God, that was spectacular. The only weakness of that whole show was the commentary, but that could be fixed with a few kinks here and there. JR was a little rusty, but hey, Just like what Cody Rhodes said, he's Jim fucking Ross. Now again, thank you all very much. If you do want to follow me on any social media, but primarily Twitter, please follow me at PC underscore Flamio 814 to get all of my rumors, news, or anything that involves AEW or the poorly ran WWE. And from the interview that was published out earlier, by Talk It's Jericho, the poorly ran WWE for Monday Night Raw and Tuesday Night Live SmackDown. Let's get into business, guys, though. We're just going to jump right into it. The AEW was a huge, huge success. I saw a a report out there uh, from Ringside News that AEW's pay-per-view count and which I did buy, and I tried to find somewhere online that I could just watch it for free, but after 8.15 went around, I was like, yeah, no, I can't find anything. I'm just going to buy it. Screw it. That was the best $50 that I've spent in a long time. I remember back in the day when you would pay $50 for a pay-per-view event. Last time that I did was, I believe, Bad Blood, which was between Triple H and Shawn Michaels. Jesus Christ. That match Man, just thinking about it, that match was spectacular as well. But 
This isn't a. This isn't WWE. This is AEW. And I was a little skeptic on getting the pay per view. And I am so glad that I just bit the bullet and just did it because if you aren't a wrestling fan, you can watch it. The AEW's Double or Nothing, and then if you would watch two weeks ago's WWE's pay-per-view, which was Money in the Bank, night and day. Night and day. Even though that Money in the Bank is probably by far my favorite pay-per-view compared to the Royal Rumble, it goes WrestleMania, Money in the Bank, Royal Rumble. And that's going from 3-2-1, which is by far my favorite pay-per-views for WWE. I would much rather go to a Royal Rumble event if they ever came to Pittsburgh. I would much rather go to a Royal Rumble one rather than a fucking WrestleMania event. WrestleMania is a joke now. But with AEW's Double or Nothing, if you would show, if you would have just a a Saturday night party at your house and you would Like, for instance, if I would invite my friend Dave, who is, you know, not a wrestling fan, but he can, he can, um, enjoy and respect the fact of the wrestlers fighting their hearts out in the ring. And he can, uh, understand the whole idea of WWE World Wrestling Entertainment. Now, with AEW, if I would invite him to come over, and if I would invite some other friends who aren't really a big wrestling fan, I know that if they would watch AEW, I know they would actually appreciate and know the difference between that type of wrestling versus the WWE type of wrestling. It is uncanny that when a guy named MJF, already over as a heel, The Battle Royal, even, for the buy-in, for double or nothing. It's equivalent, the the buy-in is equivalent to a kickoff show for any pay-per-view event for WWE. And the fact that the Battle Royal, for them, felt more taken, more taken seriously than a kickoff show for WWE. When I was watching that Battle Royal, I was seeing superstars that I have never seen before. And I loved every gimmick, and I loved the, um, God, I do have to apologize. I don't know many wrestlers on Double or Nothing, but my God, that was fun. That was enjoyable. It made me feel I was back in fifth grade Getting excited for a pay-per-view event, asking my mom, please, mom, can we just get this? It's only 50 bucks. I appreciate her every day of my life. The order that I get, I just appreciate the hell out of my mother. I love you, mom. And now, thinking back, last Saturday, do I really want to buy this for 50 bucks? After seeing the Battle Royal, seeing Ty Dillinger, who is now, fuck, I forget his name. I don't remember. I suck, I know. AEW is new to me, just like how it's new to everybody. We don't know all these independent Japan wrestlers. But hey, they did a showcase for us, and I am all in. That was, I hate saying spectacular, but 
Job well done, AEW. Job well done. I appreciated everything that you showed us. To the gimmicks, to the little promos in the back. Yeah, I mean, like I said, there's a few kinks that they got to work out. But in time, that will all resolve itself. And it will, eventually, they will get in a groove with it and know what to do and when to do it. Just like today with Chris Jericho's uh, Talk is Jericho podcast that just released John Moxley's interview, which again, you please people, you got to go listen to that. That is by far, like I said, such a great interview. It just exposed everything. And I mean, I was listening to it this morning before I was getting ready for work and I had it on the whole time. It was like an hour and 20 some minutes. Had it on when I had my coffee, had it on, took it in the freaking shower like with me. Thank God for phones nowadays that are waterproof and water resistant. I couldn't take my ears off of my phone. That makes no sense, but by God almighty, that makes perfect sense. And in that interview, John Moxley, he said, yeah, these wrestlers don't know how to perform live, but they're going to learn. And John Moxley said, at first when I came to WWE, I had no idea how to do live TV shows. He thought that he knew everything about it. But once he came to WWE, he said, man, you learn something new every day, basically. Now, I'm subtweeting here, like I'm, I'm subquoting here, not subtweeting. I'm subquoting here on what he's saying. I'm not saying every word for word, just basically what he is saying on that interview. And he would go along with the words of, in time, people will learn how to do it. Uh, Cody Rhodes, he knows how to do live television, but other superstars that have been in the indie scene and Lucha Underground, just a bunch of other superstars that don't really have the experience for it, they're going to learn. And once they do, WWE is in trouble. Now, I'm not going to go on a huge review on AEW's uh, Double or, or Nothing, but... The three matches, obviously, that were my favorite were the Young Bucks tag team match, which was tag team wrestling at its finest. And if WWE doesn't take notes, because I know everybody on WWE was definitely watching that match and watching that whole pay-per-view. That match for tag team wrestling with the Young Bucks and the other team which I also forget their name. I suck, I know. But it was so great to watch. So refreshing. They, The Young Bucks and the other tag team had the sequence that was, wow. That looks real. That's the whole point. Everyone knows that wrestling is fake. But if you know how to wrestle in that ring and can sell it and just are at the top notch a great wrestling or a great wrestler you could pull off a good match in the end the young bucks did defend the triple a world tag team champions and the third best match of the night i thought now the second best second best match of the night People are going to, a lot of people are going to disagree with it just because it was the main event, but Chris Jericho and Kenny Omega. Now, there were times when you could see Chris Jericho, yes, is in the best shape of his life. For his age, best shape. 
Kenny Omega is a fantastic wrestler and a great promo guy. Both of them are. Both of them are A-plus players. But there were times in the match where you could see a little bit of an effect from Chris Jericho's age. I'm not taking anything away from him. He still can put on a great wrestling match, better than a lot of people can in WWE today. And it was great that he could do acrobatic moves. He can still do the lion saw. But you could definitely tell that his age is a little, you know, not creeping up on him. But you could tell that, okay, yeah, like five or six years ago, Chris Jericho could probably do that better than we see today. But regardless of that, the match was fantastic. And they... Got the right winner, and I called it. I know I, d- I don't have anything on public record that says that I said that Chris Jericho should win. But you kind of had a feeling when uh, Chris Jericho and Kenny Omega first fought each other in the Japan for the, uh, for the uh, Japan World Heavyweight Championship match. I don't know if that's what it's even called, but something beyond those lines. And when Kenny Omega won that and when this match was being set forward, uh, you couldn't have all of the elite win every single match the whole night. So one of them had to lose, and I did call it. Kenny Omega was going to lose this match tonight against Chris Jericho. And it was definitely the right call because with the wrestling industry, you can't be so predictable. And everyone didn't like how the Young Bucks still defended. They didn't like how Cody Rhodes won. No. But with this match with Kenny Omega and Chris Jericho, it was the right call. And this sets up a feud in the future. Because after the match was done, Chris Jericho went on the mic and saying, I am AEW, I am AEW for what it is today. I deserve a thank you from each and every one of you. And as he's saying it, then all of a sudden, who comes out? Frickin' John Moxley, otherwise known as Dean Frickin' Ambrose. And my God, he looked alive. You could see it on his face. You could see the enjoyment on his face. It was such a good feeling. And even though they, we don't know these people, I don't know if, like, like side note, guys, I don't know if if you can hear it, but in Pittsburgh uh, or all over the. Uh, Northwestern side of the uh, of the U.S. getting a huge storm, but because I know I can hear it in my mic right now or in my headphones. But side note, I digress. But you can see the enjoyment on Dean Amber on John Moxley's face, and when he put that tweet out the second that he was no longer a WWE superstar. John Moxley appeared out of nowhere, got 7 million or 3 million views of his trailer video, and you saw the specific date on the trailer, and I was like, oh, wait a minute, that's, I think, the dice in the background, did you see the date on it? Somebody pointed it out in a tweet, I was like, holy shit, they're right. And you kind of knew that it was going to happen, but even... As a wrestling fan and even a fan of mine and fans like me all around the world that have some common sense in their head, we kind of expect things like that to happen. But when the match was happening and when Chris Jericho was talking, we kind of forgot about, oh shit, John Moxley. That's how you know AEW is doing something right. 
After the match, John Moxley was inside that ring with Chris Jericho, and you just see him like have a twitch in his neck, and kind of shrugs his shoulders and, and says, "Ah, what the fuck?" Does dirty deeds to him. Now, J- I I know Jim Ross wanted to say it. You can hear it in his voice. He was gonna say dirty deeds, but he stopped himself and just said whatever that he whatever he had to say. And it was honestly the best thing. And when he did the dirty deeds to him, you saw him go on the ropes and just scream, motherfucker. And you could just see it. You could see the excitement on his face. That's what makes this wrestling industry so powerful. You could see that these superstars do what they love. And that's the type of wrestling fan that I am. That's what I enjoy. Anyways, after that, Kenny Omega comes up. And before he started coming to, John Moxley just dirty deeds the ref. It was great. It's great. And, of course, Kenny Omega started to defend himself. Which, by the way, this is starting a feud with Kenny Omega. And, my God, I hope it happens. I mean, they have, uh, uh, after when the pay-per-view uh, was over, on All Elite Wrestling Twitter account, they had John Moxley, uh, the guy with the cigarette, uh, fuck, I forget his name, but earlier uh, in the night, he had a, a, a cigarette stapled onto his forehead, which I thought was amazing as well. And apparently, him and that guy are going to have a feud together, and they're going to have a feud maybe in Japan, I forget, but... For AEW's sake, I really hope Kenny Omega and John Moxley get together in the match, and I think that's going to be great. Uh, but to end the pay-per-view off, John Moxley went on top of the poker chips. He threw Kenny Omega, and that actually looked like it hurt. Not like when The Miz and Shane McMahon for WrestleMania this year did a suplex off the top of the, the studio stage and landed on a bunch of pillows or two king-size mattresses. <laughs> I mean, come on. You give me that corny. Kenny Omega, he landed on, it looked like plexiglass, uh, maybe something. Don't know, but it looked like it damn near hurt him. And you see John Moxley stand on top of the poker chips, and the pay-per-view ended. It was great. But that wasn't the best match of the night. The best match of the night of course, was Cody Rhodes and Dustin Rhodes. Now, this match wasn't for bragging rights. Everyone knew this match was for Dusty. The fans knew it. I knew it. You probably knew it. If if you didn't know it, then you're probably some uh, 12-year-old kid who still picks his nose. That was very poor, I know. But the match, before it began, the bell rang. You hear the fans chant Dusty. And you saw Dustin Rhodes, otherwise known as Gold Dust. You see him point up to the sky. And you see Cody get emotional. And then the match starts. These two had a a fantastic match. I was all for it, but I'm like, ah, okay. I like it. 
as the match went on, you just, you saw the facial expressions from Dustin and said, basically, Cody, I can't go no more, man. I'm tired. But Cody kept pushing him. You could just see Cody was leading that match. And finally, Cody did win. It was a bloody, brutal match. Fantastic. At the end of it, Cody said, there's a next pay-per-view event coming up. And I'm in a tag team match with the Young Bucks. And I need a partner. I don't need a friend. I don't need a partner. I need my brother. And I'm not going to lie, I got emotional. And having a brother who you watch wrestling with, if you didn't have emotions towards this, then you're not a true wrestling fan. Instantly, right when Cody Rhodes said those lines, I instantly thought about my brother. I texted him saying, I wish you were here watching AEW with me. He didn't text me back. He's somewhere in Virginia with his ex. I don't know. But (laughs) it was just very emotional. It struck all the right chords. Great match. Great promo. Great backstory. That's what makes a match mean something. Not how WWE is doing it. And they hugged it out. It was emotionally draining and draining as a good way and caught a tear in my eye later on like after when the segment or when the match was over and then they went back to uh to Jim Ross and whoever those two other guys are (laughs) uh I definitely was shedding a tear that was fantastic so all in all I have to give AEW's double or nothing I gotta give it an A minus. And the only reason why I'm not giving it an A plus, there were two matches tonight, or the two matches that night where I really didn't care for. I thought that they went a little bit too long with, but I understand what they're trying to do, trying to make women's wrestling more appreciative. But that six ma- that six woman tag team match shouldn't have gone as long as it did. I was uninterested in it. That was definitely a, a pee break. Or um, a drink break, but I, I didn't really, I didn't care for it. Now, uh, the other one that I really didn't care for either was the very first one. It was uh, the the tag team match uh, between, uh, oh God, I'm S-O-C, oh fuck, I forget their name. But that very first match, it was good. Great tag team match. But for some reason, I just couldn't get on board with Great match, but the weakest part of it was the six women tag team match and also the commentary of the night. And also when Bret Hart was, which by the way, an appearance by Bret Hart, it shocked me. But the other one that I really was like, eh, kind of, they could have, you know, did a little better promoting the new AEW World Championship belt. But that was also a very weak point of the night. Um, all in all, like I said, A minus, but still, they got an A for the show. For the very first promotion for Double or Nothing AEW, they hit a home run. They definitely did. Not a grand slam, but a three run homer. It was great. 
fireworks. They have pyro. That's the great thing about pyro. Again, it's back. Um, it, it was great. Now you wonder, how is WWE going to respond to such a historical night for pro wrestling? What do they do, you think? Well, if you tuned in on Monday Night Raw, uh, <laughs> I, how do I say this delicately? They, uh, they think that as Dean Ambrose or John Moxley said on the podcast, this man thinks that he's a genius or like he said it uh, one week on WWE Monday Night Raw, I'm a genius. I don't know about that, buddy. Because this week for Monday Night Raw and even for Tuesday Night SmackDown, it was a joke. You started off the show with Brock Lesnar stating he's going to cash in the money in the bank. Now, I'm not even going to lie to you. I barely even watched it. I watched the Hulu cut of it. Because, one, I have an everyday job, I can't really watch it, and two, I'm not going to make my way on watching it and get myself in trouble at work, so I'm going to watch the Hulu cut. But even the Hulu cut has its flaws too, in which, before I get into the Monday Night Raw review as well, or even get into it, the Hulu cut that WWE put out doesn't even have the best match of the night. And all of you, or whoever is listening to me, knows that the best match of the night was between two superstars. And it was Cesaro versus Ricochet. They didn't even have it on the Hulu cut. Why? Because Vince McMahon doesn't care about Ricochet. Vince McMahon doesn't care about any NXT superstar that comes up. So it's with my understanding that you don't have the best match of the night put on Hulu cut, but yet you're going to have a guy named something Anawai to impersonate Roman Reigns and have Shane McMahon be on it instead of that? Within the first hour of WWE Monday Night Raw, I kid you not, I might have... Squeeze in five minutes of actual wrestling for the first hour. Now, take it for granted, this is an entertainment business, but again, it is wrestling entertainment. Wrestling entertainment. It's in the fucking word of WWE. World Wrestling Entertainment. It's not just entertainment. Wrestling Entertainment. It's not a game. We're talking about practice, basically. We're talking about practice, man. And for the fact that they don't have any wrestling for the first hour, only five minutes of wrestling for the first hour, I might add. Pitiful. Absolutely pitiful. And basically, for WWE to respond to AEW's W. 
or nothing, they don't care. And the whole night you heard the crowd, this is boring, this sucks. And then you even heard an AEW chance like start to come around. And I swear to Christ, I did not hear that dial go down as quick as I could on the volume for the crowd. Whoever was in the backstage, you could just hear them. Boop, volume down. And I could just hear Vince just lose his shit. And then they also have Sami Zayn say AEW blatantly on Monday Night Raw. Now, at first, I thought, oh, shit. No, uh, WWE would never let him say that. They wouldn't let him have any free mic. Absolutely not. And oh yeah, I was right. People want to say that uh, Sami Zayn did it on his own. People want to say, and there's uh, reports out there saying that Vince McMahon is furious at at Sami Zayn. No, this is just all a gimmick. This is all no, no, not a gimmick. This is all scripted. Okay, if Sami Zayn was really in trouble, you would he would have gotten fined. And next week is all the telltale of it. That's when you know. He's either going to get buried or he's going to get in some sort of uh, um, script with Vince McMahon or something with the McMahons. But if he is, which what seems like that's what's happening here with Sami Zayn. It seems like that he's going to get a push. So people say what you want. It's not on Sami Zayn and the reports in my opinion are not true that he went on his own to do it no it was scripted and for all the naysayers out there stop it that AEW is in bed with WWE that is no stop it you are idiots if you think that it is now the only reason why that WWE is acknowledging AEW is because of social media social media is the whole reason why AEW as well is as big as it is now. Don't at me. Including at, uh, I'm going to kind of plug it in here. If you do want to follow me on Twitter again, I will say it again. Follow me at PC underscore Flamio 814. And now, finally, let's just get right into it. Uh, for Monday Night Raw, it was... Like I said at the beginning, uh, before I was about to get into it, it was pathetic how WWE responds to a, in their case, a pro wrestling tease sort of company, as in double or nothing, that this is how they responded. Now, I said that Brock Lesnar came out, I mistakenly meant Kofi Kingston came out, he opened up Raw. And basically stating that he wants to see Brock Lesnar come out and yada, 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 same bullshit. And then all of a sudden, Seth Rollins comes out. Seth Rollins comes out and he says, I like where your head is at, kid, but we got to do this right. And then Brock Lesnar comes out and with his same uh, music at the beginning. And then all of a sudden, you hear like a... I guess a remix to his uh, theme song, but it was no damn remix. It was some cheap 
no copyright, like last minute decision. Hey, Brock, you're going to walk out to this. Or maybe Brock wanted to do it. I don't know. But Brock comes, he comes out and the whole meme and the whole gif that we all saw last week of him with the boom box with the, uh, the money in the bank. So WWE ran with it and then they officially made it dead. It is no longer funny anymore. So therefore, uh, Brock Lesnar, he comes to the ring now and with his little remix of his theme song and he enters the ring and then he looks like Kofi as he looks like Kofi. His music changes to Kofi Kingston theme song. It's a new day. Yes, it is. And you hear and then you see Brock like bopping his head to it with the boom box on his um, uh, right shoulder. And then as he's doing it, then all of a sudden he looks at Seth Rollins and then the music changes to Seth Rollins' theme song. And it's kind of corny. It's kind of cheesy. I get what they're trying to do. They want to have him have fun, I guess. I don't fucking know. But make it kind of believable. Have Brock Lesnar kind of like hit something on the boombox to make it seem like that he's actually changing the song to a certain superstars theme song. I don't know. It just... Not believable, not believable, but I mean, hey, Seth Rollins didn't really think it was believable either. You saw him later, um, within 30 seconds, he walks out of the ring, thinks that, okay, this is a joke. He should have listened to his friend Dean Ambrose. Maybe if he would have listened to the podcast earlier today. But anyways, so then, like I said, Seth Rollins, he walks out and um, then... Paul Heyman had this to say to Kofi Kingston. Isn't it just like Seth Rollins to just pee on everybody's parade? My client, Brock Lesnar. in the money in the bank contract but Seth Rollins ruined our block party okay hold up hold up hold up I get the whole gimmick Brock party block party this shit I don't want to see I don't want to see this side of Brock Lesnar and be a funny asshole type of character He's done with UFC, so I can see them dragging this out all the way until a random night. I don't see them... If they want to do it smart, if, if WWE wants to, to do it smart with this Money in the Bank contract briefcase with Brock Lesnar, they... I... Ugh, I stress this. Do not cash it in next Friday at the Super Showdown. It will be a fucking waste. But since you see Brock Lesnar, if you did watch the show, you saw Brock Lesnar come out with a a Brock Party t-shirt. They wouldn't just make up those shirts for nothing. So I guarantee he's going to hold on to that briefcase for at least two to three months. And I stress this, do not have him cash it in at a pay-per-view event. Even though that they're going to do that because Brock Lesnar wants the spotlight for a pay-per-view event. If they want to do it smart, they should do it on a Monday Night Raw. If you want to be concerned about ratings, 
you need to do it on Monday Night Raw. I mean, for instance, look at uh, back in the day with Mick Foley uh, winning the championship. WCW did the mistake on advertising for it. What do people do? They went in and they watched. So if WWE is smart, they would definitely do it on a Monday Night Raw or even a Tuesday or Friday Night SmackDown to boost some sort of ratings up because I I don't care if I'm not a big Brock fan but I don't care if you do that it would make me want to go on TV and watch it I'm going to watch it somehow I want to see how he won it but like I said we live in a world in today's day and age that social media really handles everything I mean it's what it's Wednesday at 12:30 in the morning so technically it's Thursday and me on Monday, I didn't even watch it. I barely watched the Hulu cut. But the whole time when I was at work, I was on YouTube just watching clips after clips after clips. It's the greatest thing about living in today's world. But obviously uh, with um, Ziggler and Kofi facing each other at Super Showdown, I don't see Brock Lesnar getting involved also, with Seth Rollins and Baron Corbin, they're in their own thing, but I don't see Brock Lesnar doing it right there. I'm just saying, Brock Lesnar is advertised for the Super Showdown. I just don't know what he's going to do. He might just tease in a cash-in. That's my prediction for that, but regardless, all the matches suck. I'm not going to watch this, uh, the Super Showdown. I'm just letting you know that right now. But... This was definitely long overdue, though, uh, with Ziggler's involvement stretching out like the past normal uh, fits for everything with Kofi Kingston. Um, I don't particularly see Brock Lesnar doing anything with Kofi just right now. If I had to guess if he's going to cash in on somebody, it's definitely going to be on Kofi because I know that Brock Lesnar, he wants to change his pace to Kofi Kingston. And I guarantee it. Kofi Kingston is going to get some title light defenses and he is going to be a proven champion and one day Brock Lesnar is going to come out he's going to hit that music and he's going to take it away from Kofi Kingston and my guess is maybe SummerSlam I don't see Kofi Kingston being a WWE champion after SummerSlam mark my words and like I said uh, Joseph Anawai lookalike I don't know what this was about but the only reason why that I'm even going over this part is because when Shane McMahon was on the microphone and right after when he got cut off the microphone, you hear the fans hear a little faint chant of AEW. And like I said, man, I swear to Christ, I if I was visually back in the producing area, I could just see that person just boom, dialing, all, dialing the volume all the way down. So that us people who are watching it on TV can't hear it on the TV. But anyways, let me just go from the beginning. Shane McMahon, he came out flanked by Drew McIntyre and announced he would wrestle Monday night against a member of a Samoan dynasty that includes Roman Reigns. Reigns' cousin, Lance Anawai, came out to fight. But the Scottish psychopath immediately laid him out before the bell even rang. After the bell rang, Anawai battled back against McMahon before getting caught with a back elbow into a triangle chokehold, which forced him to tap out. So basically, this was a horrible segment. I, 
it, 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 it wasn't even a match. I, I'm not even I'm not even going to call it a match. Barely lasted a minute, I think. And but in the end, you saw uh, Roman Reigns come out, and obviously uh, Shane McMahon he did whatever he did a a, a, a Shane McMahon thing straight out of the ring. But the AEW chance definitely started here, and they were going to be warranted throughout the whole night and WWE seems that they're not really phased by it and it's amazing to me even though that they turned down the volume so that us people on TV couldn't hear it but they're really not taking any action as in what I mean action I mean better product on the TV they're not doing anything about it so obviously the competition has to step up there's no question and Later on in the night, Brock Lesnar realizes that he has a whole year to cash in. He basically said to Seth Rollins, screw you. And, however, uh, Heyman, as uh, the Beast's advocate, he began reading the Money in the Bank contract, and Lesnar realized he could wait until May 19th of 2020. The Beast told off Rollins and walked away with no desire to cash in the uh, the money in the bank contract. So even though that WWE made a statement on Twitter, we're going to get someone who's going to be facing Brock Lesnar. He's going to tell us who he wants to face. It's just cheap pop. It's cheap ratings boost. And still, it didn't even get me to fucking get in. And at, shortly after when Brock Lesnar leaves the ring, you saw... I mean... Uh, you saw R-Truth appear, and he was getting chased by the Raw superstars through the ring backstage and um, in the middle of the mem- uh, the Memorial Day uh, celebration after when they went through the ring. Um, I mean, say what you want about the 24-7 championship. I think it's fucking ridiculous. I don't like that they have it, but R-Truth is a perfect champion for, like, for that. He really is. All that that 24-7 championship belt is, it's just a joke. Whoever has it is not taken seriously. That should be a fucking given. And then you had a Iconics versus Becky Lynch and Nikki Cross. The only reason why I'm even remotely talking about this is because at the very end of the match, uh, Becky Lynch, uh, she introduced a new finisher. And it's not just her cross arm. It is uh, a rock bottom lookalike. And I don't know. It doesn't seem that interesting, but hey, it's better than just having a submission. So at least she has a, like a little finisher that she can actually <clears throat> use in the ring. But after the match, uh, you saw her and Nikki Cross uh, have their hands both raised. And as Becky Lynch looks after the uh, Iconics and you saw Lacey Evans come out and do her little thing. As Nikki Cross held up Becky Lynch's arm, you saw Nikki Cross look at that belt. Now, I hope to God WWE is doing something right here because that would be brilliant. They're planting the seeds. They need to start planting the seeds now. Don't have her turn on Becky just yet. Give it a couple of months. Let this shit build up. Have a fucking storyline. But I guarantee that they're going to have her turn on her in three weeks. Just in time for... Uh, what's the next one? Uh, Battleground or whatever the fuck it's called. 
I don't know. It was supposed to be backlash. And now I don't know what the hell it's called, but the the let's just say this. Uh, I guarantee they're going to pull the trigger on this Nikki Cross and Becky Lynch for uh, stomping grounds, I believe now. I, I can't remember, but the pay-per-view after the Saudi Arabia Super Showdown. Guarantee that pay-per-view, she's going to be facing Becky Lynch for the Raw Women's Championship. <clears throat> now, the match that I really loved, but eh, it didn't make it for the Hulu cut. I can just hear Vin. Ah, no, 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 we, no, no, we don't have time for this. I can just hear him saying that shit. The match, in my opinion, was a solid A. It had the right drama. It had both of the superstars were fantastic in this match, but in WWE's eyes or in, Vince, in Vince's eyes uh, he didn't see anything that was uh, spectacular about this match but while this match was certainly great for the first quality part of the show and this was actually the very one of the very first matches of the night not including the Becky Lynch tag team match but with this match happening I thought this was the only good match that I've seen within the hour and a half and Cesaro is continuing to build up momentum. And with this match, even though that he lost it, he still is building up that, mo- that momentum, which I love. It's great for both of them. And Ricochet needed this win. I swear to God, if they would have had him lose again, just like with Dean Ambrose or John Moxley, whoever you want to call him, just like he said, the producers are or the writers that are control of all this have no idea. And these two are just absolutely great in-ring workers and they've recently been offered to do more, but I mean, they're not really pushing Ricochet here. They're pushing more towards uh, Cesaro, but you know, whatever it is what it is. Now, uh, the match that I really uh, didn't even care about as well uh, was the fatal four-way match between Braun Strowman, The Miz, Bobby Lashley, and which was supposed to be AJ Styles, but now they put in Baron Corbin. And I don't know what that situation is, uh, but early in the night, AJ Styles announced that he was too injured to compete. And Baron Corbin attacked him in the training room, which led to be Baron Corbin to be his replacement. Now, The Miz, Braun Strowman, and the lone wolf, Baron Corbin... And, of course, Bobby Lashley spoke their piece on why they would win the Fatal 4-Way when they would just single-handedly just look at them in, uh, uh, in the camera with a awkward interview. But the heels tried their best to eliminate the monster among men in Braun Strowman uh, out of the picture. But, of course, uh, it paid off for the moment. And uh, the A-lister as in The Miz, got worn down, and you could tell, like, in the ring that he was tired as all hell. I mean, as I was watching the match, I was like, good God, is he even trying? But, anyways. So, later on in the match, everyone's going back and forth with it, but you knew this was going to happen because uh, Braun Strowman and Bobby Lashley, they're already facing each other uh, at the Super Showdown because, and I already knew... At the end, it was either going to be The Miz or Baron Corbin. And right as soon as Baron Corbin got added to the match, it was already a, a done deal. They weren't going to have Braun Strowman or Bobby Lashley face 
uh, Seth Rollins because them two already have a match. This is the problem that I have with WWE too. They really think that we're that fucking stupid. We're not. Me as a fan, I'm going to say 20% of the fans of WWE is like-minded like me. I'm not saying that I'm smart by any means, but I have a little fucking brain, okay? I have a little fucking common sense up there. Not fucking retarded. Obviously, you already announced last week, Bobby Lashley is facing the monster among men, Braun Strowman. What makes you think that in this Fade of Four-Way match that they're going to be having a match with Seth Rollins? Not fucking stupid. So obviously, I knew Baron Corbin, he was definitely going to win this match. There was no way that a babyface Miz was going to face a babyface Rollins. It's just not going to happen. Maybe if Miz was a heel still, yeah, I could definitely see that. But babyface Miz sucks. So anyways, I mean, just like uh, what Brad Shepard would always say, it's fake anyways. So whatever. Now, the other highlight of tonight, which I loved, was um, this guy right here. I absolutely love that. Music to my ears. But the newly Bray Wyatt and uh, his Firefly Funhouse is forever going to have a special place in our hearts, I think, uh, for the next couple years. This is brilliant. I love everything about this gimmick. About him uh, being uh, newly transpired in a new character and from the... Like reports that I'm hearing, they're giving him all the leeway for him to, you know, do his thing with it. And good for good for Bray Wyatt, because by what we just heard today with uh, Talk is Jericho, not a lot of people have a lot of say in what they want to do as their character. Now, as always, the Firefly Funhouse is the most interesting thing on the show by far. There's no question about it. And while this was a fairly limited segment, I didn't really care for it tonight, but still, the fact that it's the Firefly Funhouse, I am very invested into it, because we've only seen the new Bray Wyatt and his new gimmick with the face mask. It, it, it's, it's brilliant. And this whole gimmick that he is starting up saved his career. No question about it. And... With what they're doing right now, with him being a good guy, friendly, and then all of a sudden be this demented, torn, sickened son of a bitch. Basically, they're having him be uh, Bray Wyatt having two split personalities. They're kind of, kind of pulling a Finn Balor, Demon Balor, and Finn Balor. But you know, for some reason, Vince that he doesn't like the, uh, the Demon King. I'm just only guessing. I'm not really uh, saying it, but. You know, you get what I mean. And honestly, though, before I get on to the last segment for Monday Night Raw, they need to have Bray Wyatt debut in the ring soon because I don't want them prolonging this as it is still going on with the whole Firefly Funhouse and the whole segments and the pre-recorded stuff. It's all good and fun. But he needs to get in that ring very, very soon because if they just keep doing this over and over again, he's not going to be taken seriously when he does get inside that ring. Like there's built up like uh, uh, 
like motivation to see him in, like in the ring just like this uh I'll, I'll give you a quick example it's like when uh you meet a girl on let's just say tinder and you guys find each other attractive and then all of a sudden you start sexting each other I don't know I don't even know if sexting is still like a thing but you text each other you tell each other what you would do with each other you built up this momentum towards it and then you after maybe a week or two later you still try to do it and it's not the same chemistry as it was and then all of a sudden when you two see each other it's like okay that magic is gone so WWE doesn't want to do this. Um, they don't want to try to prolong this as long as it needs to be, as it is right now. Um, they need they need to get a, they need to get him in that ring no longer than after Superstar Showdown or Super Showdown in Saudi Arabia. And now the best thing that happened in WWE Monday Night Raw in a long time was a cheap pop from Sami Zayn being in the electrical chair, which I thought was fucking retarded. When I heard electrical chair, I was like, who the fuck are they killing? The fuck is this? I like I, I was just I, like I, I was just watching Ted Budney. So of course when I hear electrical chair, who the fuck are they killing? <laughs> fuck. But the opening of the promo to set up the match was an absolute mess. Uh, they were going outside of the ring and going into the audience letting fans ask a question i don't know if the if they already asked these fans hey why don't you ask like like this question or that question i'm not sure so i really i don't know if wwe paid these guys to do it like hey like like here's like 100 bucks like just say this on the microphone and then you can have it i don't know but Superstars were, no, no, not superstars. Uh, uh, the fans were asking him questions, and Sami Zayn, he just basically said uh, that, what, that's it? You guys don't have anything else to ask me? I mean, I could think of a million things to say, like, are you, are, are you a good lover? And yes, I'm a great kisser. Like, he's just toying with the audience. And, I mean, yeah, it, it was whatever but what really caught everyone's attention was him saying the, the three words on WWE TV which was AEW he said something beyond the lines i mean i wish i could play it on the youtube but of course they took it off the youtube channel they they have the segment on youtube but they cut off the part when he said hell you could have asked me about AEW <gasps> now him doing the <gasps> gasp after that Eh, that was a little much. Like you shouldn't have done. You should have let the fans do it. That would have added so much more hype around that shit. But hey, good for AEW. Hey, free promoting, guys. Look at that. But after that, uh, then you heard um, Seth Rollins come out, and nothing against like Seth Rollins, but I don't know him and Sami Zayn in the match. I didn't really. Uh, really care for it. That's when I kind of uh, got up and I left uh, like work because I watched it uh, yesterday. And as I was getting ready for work, I was watching the end. I was like, okay, I'm going. I'm not going to be late. If I'm late again, I might get fired. <laughs> but that was basically uh, your raw. And I think that was horrible in 
how WWE would have reacted to Double or Nothing, but you know, that's just me. I mean, hey, what do I know? I'm just a fucking idiot behind a microphone who wants to start up a podcast. I don't know shit, which I really don't, but you know. Again, that doesn't really care for me. Again, guys, if you do want to follow me on Twitter, I just have to put this in my segue. You can do so. Follow me at PC underscore Flamio 814 to get all my news, updates, whatever. Any kind of tweets, if I feel like tweeting about my personal life, you're going to get that too. Whatever. But it's mostly about WWE. So you don't have to worry about that. So SmackDown Live wasn't anything much better than Monday Night Raw, but the only reason why I give this week the edge to SmackDown Live, (laughs) edge, the only reason why I give them the winning card for this week is because of one particular match and one superstar, and the match would be the very beginning of it, Kofi Kingston and Kevin Owens. They had a great match, and the other reason why SmackDown did better than Raw was because of one person. Daniel Bryan. And let's just start from the beginning. Kevin Owens, he kicked off the show broadcasting saying that he was going to hold an edition of the KO show. But the fans in Oklahoma were not worthy, so they didn't really care for him. He then suggested that after Dolph Ziggler defeats Kofi Kingston at Super Showdown, he can give Owens a title shot at the WWE Championship. This brought out, of course, Kingston for a pay-per-view quality match. And honestly, it was a very, very good match. And of course, a fired-up Owens uh, only attacked Kingston and beat him down from the opening bell. And he wiped him out with a senton bomb on the arena floor. And stood tall, basking in the jeers and the boos from the Oklahoma audience. I mean, since it's from Oklahoma, I was really hoping that, you know, the commentators, by God, he broke him in half. But of course they're not. But basically, uh, the match went on. It was a great match. Uh, Loud pop. uh, Really got the crowd fired up at the beginning of the show. Something that WWE has been lacking the past couple months. It was great to see and great to hear the audience was actually involved into, into it. Everything Kingston did to fight back into the match, Owens cut him off, basically. And basically, a late... Owens tried to pop a powerbomb and Kingston escaped, which was set up beautifully. And Kingston popped up out of the pop-up powerbomb and he bounced off the rope. And Kevin Owens came after him. He bounced off the rope and landed right into a trouble in paradise, which... Delivered beautifully, and I thought the ending of the match was great. I'm still not a believer in the Trouble in Paradise. I still think uh, his other signature move is a lot better than uh, Trouble in Paradise, but that's just me, my opinion. I just think that uh, uh, the delivery for a move is everything, and a simple kick to the head doesn't really do justice. But when they did a slow motion of the Trouble in Paradise onto Kevin Owens, it was performed beautifully. Right on the, on the side of the temple, Kevin Owens sold the fuck out of it and that one I could believe I thought it was a good match and I still think that Kevin Owens should be taken seriously for a WWE title shot but that's just me and now the other reason why Smackdown Live was fantastic was because of Daniel Bryan Daniel Bryan 
is the newly SmackDown Tag Team Champion with Eric Rowan. And they made their way to the ring and uh, in a special in-ring interview with Kayla Braxton, okay? All right. So, Brian was very vocal, of course, and he was just fantastic on the microphone. Now, I know what WWE is trying to do here, but I'll get into that in a second. Just let me read this. Brian was vocal in his disdain for the SmackDown Live Tag Team Division, mocking the other teams on the roster and suggesting none of them are worthy of a championship opportunity. Roman joined in with a, I guess, a very corny knock-knock joke. And before he could finish, heavy machinery came out and interrupted uh, the segment from Daniel Bryan. Now... With Otis and Tucker, they expressed the challenge. And when I heard their music, I was like, hold up. I can get behind this. I can definitely get behind this. I mean, it's very believable because Eric Rowan with Daniel Bryan, a big man, and with the big heavy uh, uh, like machinery, I could definitely see Tucker go against Eric Rowan and Daniel Bryan could definitely handle himself up against Otis. And, but basically, uh, the cowardly champions uh, exited uh, with a chorus of boos. And basically, this is going to be setting up a feud for these two teams, in which I am very on board with. Heavy Machinery, I'm a very big fan of. I, I just like Tucker, to be honest with you. But back to what I was saying, I know exactly what WWE is trying to do. And it kind of crossed my mind right when Daniel Bryan and Eric Roman were the newly SmackDown Live Tag Team Championships that they want to boost this tag team division. And which is good because Daniel Bryan is very great on the microphone. He is superb at it. And me being a wrestling fan, I would much rather have a good storytelling and good reasoning that I can get behind on. And Daniel Bryan is terrific in that. Excuse me. And if you think about it, what the hell are the Raw Tag Team Championships doing? Nothing. Were they on Raw? No. And no, I didn't miss them because I didn't watch it. No. I didn't say anything about them because they weren't on the show. They have been on the show for two weeks now, which goes to show you they don't give a shit about the tag team division. And again, wait a minute. Yeah, wait. Where are the War Raiders? I was just talking to my coworker tonight. Where are the War Raiders at? It's been three weeks, I think, right? Someone mentioned it on Twitter, I believe, and uh, I forget who. I think... uh, Hold on, hold on. Let me look. But as... Like, tonight, like we were just talking, me and my coworker, we always talk about this type of shit. And we both have very like-mindeds about this, and we both can appreciate the art about wrestling. And I remember just like a light bulb went like into my head because we were talking about Daniel Bryan and all of a sudden I just said, wait a minute, where's the war Raiders at? Or the Viking Raiders, whatever the hell they're called. Are they like in the Bahamas? Are they enjoying their time off because they just recently relinquished the NXT tag team champions? Whatever they're doing, WWE just knows how to bury every tag team division that comes back up from NXT. For example, where the hell is AOP? I would love to know where AOP is. 
They were once the Raw Tag Team Champions. Now they're not. It's a joke. A complete fucking joke. I honestly... Mm. This is why I'm very, very, very excited for AEW. A couple more things and then I'm going to wrap it up here, guys. Um, you had uh, a, like a good match between Carmella and Mandy Rose. Uh, I was pleasantly surprised, I guess is the right word. Um Obviously, WWE is high on Mandy Rose, uh, typical blonde, and yes, whatever, she's good looking, but me, as a wrestling fan, I don't care for looks, I care for mic ability and in-ring ab- like ability, and Mandy Rose, I guess she kind of fits them both. Uh, I like her, I think that she has a better uh, gimmick than Carmella, that's for sure, and... She's basically going to be riding high um, on appearing because she's... Okay, how do I say this? She is appearing on a magazine cover that's called Muscles and Fitness. And she is basically going to be riding high on this. And her match between her and Carmella, even though that the whole time Manny Rose was dominant in the match, uh, it was a fairly semi-good one, and I would give it a B. Um, and other people I know have given it a B. I, I liked it. Um, I like Sonia Deville a lot better than Mandy Rose, but that's my personal opinion. I think Mandy Rose would be better. Uh, I think she might be better. I, like, you really don't see much of her, but I remember seeing her down in NXT. She was good at, like in the ring. But obviously, so is Mandy Rose, but, you know, Mandy Rose is blonde hair, and she fits the picture of a everyday superstar for WWE. But Rose dominated early, uh, wearing down Carmella uh, with mat-based offense uh, being played by her. Uh, the princess of Staten Island, she did fight back with a jawbreaker and looked to be uh, mounting a comeback, but a flying knee from Mandy Rose cut her off very fucking quickly. <laughs> And that only earned her a two-count and shocked the Golden Goddess, and otherwise known as Mandy Rose, uh, the Golden Rose. And a distraction from Sonia Deville at ringside caused Carmella to lose the match and set up for a pitiful roll-up. If this match didn't end in a roll-up, I would have given it uh, maybe a B plus, like A minus, if it would have been a clean fight. Um, But obviously, you know... They have higher things for for Mandy Rose here. And I wouldn't be surprised if you see Mandy Rose being a SmackDown Live champion anytime soon. But, you know, as long as uh, Charlotte is on SmackDown, I don't think that's going to be possible. Um, Like I said, uh, she's continuing to grow and they're tired of being watched from the sidelines. And, you know, perhaps her time is coming. Who knows? And you had the Shane McMahon Appreciation Night. And Shane McMahon was flanked by Drew McIntyre and Elias for a special Shane McMahon Appreciation Night. Just weeks from clashing with Roman Reigns at the Super Showdown, which I really don't care for. But, you know, that's WWE for you. And they're going to have Roman Reigns face a McMahon because it is the most common thing in the fucking books ever since Stone Cold Steve Austin and Vince McMahon in their feud back in the day. Now they're trying this whole thing with them. 
And it was nice to hear Kevin Dunn's name, though, uh, being announced. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't know why his name was announced, but um, as um, JD would always say uh, with the... <laughs> uh, Kevin Dunn? Oh, I don't know about that. Oh my god, man. Uh, Kevin Dunn is one ugly son of a bitch. I will say that. I'm no better by any means, but fuck. He does look like a fucking chipmunk. But he did drop uh, Kevin Dunn's name. Uh, Shane McMahon did like that is. Um, and while touting uh, the pr uh, production team and then claiming that the video was educational because Reigns now knows what to expect on June 7th. The segment ended with R-Truth and Drake Maverick continuing for the 24-7 championship nonsense, and Truth pinned uh, the old 205 Live general manager, or I don't even know if he still is the uh, general manager, but whatever. And only for Elias and McIntyre to beat him down, and of course, Elias became the new 24-7 Championship, which is a fucking joke because the only person that should have that championship belt is our truth. Don't at me. And you had Bailey versus Lacey Evans, which I liked. Was a good match. So, but on ringside, you saw Charlotte Flair. She was joined by commentary and uh, with uh, the team of Corey Graves, Byron Saxon, and Tom Phillips. And Bailey battled a raw wild card competitor in Lacey Evans, and I, I I thought wild card was just like a couple weeks like sort of thing, but I guess that they're still using it. I mean, basically, we're living back in 2011 where it's the Raw Super Show back in the day. So I'm waiting for that to happen, and I'm waiting for every title to be unified, and um, I'm waiting for the Raw Championship as in uh, the Universal Championship and the WWE Championship to be unified again to become the WWE Universal Heavyweight Championship. Mark my words. But uh, Bailey attacked from the opening bell, not allowing the sassy uh, Lacey Evans to stall or set the pace. Evans seized to control, though, and delivered a slingshot elbow Dropped the midsection of her opponent. Bailey rolled out of the floor where Flair was quick to stand up and tease an interference for the bout. Back from the break, though, Evans worked on over the champion, wearing her down. Bailey fought back and headed to the ringside where she dropped Flair with a hard right hand. And back inside the square circle, Bailey scored a roll-up on Evans that earned her the victory. After Evans looked to have the victory in hand, only for Flair to distract the official, she took her frustrations out on the Queen, and that ended Flair on the floor, and her tension between her and the heels contenders are definitely rising. Now, with Charlotte Flair being involved, yeah, her and Bailey. Um, I think that's going to be a good match, but, you know, uh, no longer shy from the timid babyface in Bailey. Uh, like, she's happy to be around. Uh, she's winning matches and sticking her antagonist, and it's a it's it's definitely refreshing for her. Uh, I really thought she was going to get buried because of Sasha, but I guess that's not the case. Uh, just when it looked like that Flair and Evans were being set up to challenge uh, for the tag team titles, they split 
with uh, physicality at the end of the segment. That is a nice twist uh, for that. And that helps keep the fans guessing. That's for sure. But you can definitely tell that them two are definitely going to be maybe being partners in the future. I can definitely see it Um, just because, you know, uh, WWE is going to go with the uh, go with the punches, I guess. Uh, And the fans are saying that, you know, uh, these two are both blonde. They should be a tag team. You see a bunch of memes about two Barbies against the world. I mean, like, whatever. I don't even care for it. And um, to end the match, uh, I didn't even watch it. I saw it on Twitter. Uh, again, I didn't care for it. <laughs> I mean, this is really bad. I know, guys. But, you know, it's a show. It's for fun. And if you're listening, I really do appreciate it. Um Roman Reigns and R-Truth were in a tag team match between Drew McIntyre and Elias. Uh, basically, uh, from my memory, R-Truth, he was getting his ass beat the whole time. Crowd was getting behind him. Uh, I know that. Uh, but, you know. Uh, Roman Reigns came in the end, of course, and he won the match. And then, this is when the match kind of got interesting. You saw Roman Reigns look at Elias in the ring. Shane McMahon and Drew McIntyre both are at the top of, of the ramp. And you see Roman Reigns is looking at Elias. And Roman Reigns was like, oh shit, Elias is here. Our truth is here. Okay. He does a spear, which is awful. Probably the worst spear that I've ever seen. To the day that I die, that is going to be the worst. Spe- Actually, no, I take that back. Charlotte Flair is the worst spear I've ever seen. But Roman Reigns is a very close second. And Roman Reigns speared Elias and looked at Truth and said, Come on, man. I'm like, I'm like, I'm not gonna lie. I LOL'd. <laughs> it's just because I hate the fact and the idea of the 24-7 championship. But I do like having R Truth as the 24-7 championship. He is a perfect fit. I love it on him. And have him keep it on him for as long as you can and have him be a 10-time 24-7 championship or hell, 16-time 24-7 championship. I don't give a shit. If he's a 16-time WWE, uh, yeah, 16-time WWE 24-7 championship belt, then, I mean, within two months, hey, God bless you, whatever. Um, So anyway, uh, and then uh, R-Truth, he pins Elias and he becomes a two-time 24-7 24-7 championship belt. I mean, I, I'm i glad I didn't watch the match. And from what I saw on YouTube, it wasn't anything special. I knew Roman Reigns was going to win the match for the team. And, uh, you know, it was very, uh, uh, very predictable. And I kind of figured that Shane McMahon was going to do something uh, shady. So, and which that wasn't a disappointment, which because he did. And, but like I said, what did work here though was truth winning. Um, and I, I like that to end the segment of SmackDown. You saw Roman Reigns laughing, uh, I guess kind of having a good time with it. But like I said, uh, the 24-7 championship belt is a cheap ploy and I really don't care for it. But having our truth as the, the 24-7 championship belt only makes sense. R-Truth has been in the industry for far too long. He needs to be known as something. And when it comes to my mind with R-Truth, I think of the U.S. championship belt. Don't know why, but maybe, hey, maybe the 24-7 championship belt will be his uh, his gimmick. And uh, I'm not saying that he's going to retire anytime soon, but 
maybe uh, this can be his uh, title because when you think of The Miz, you think of the Intercontinental Championship. When you think of John Cena, obviously the WWE Championship. When you think of, um, who else? Um, oh, shit. Me, when I think of Rusev, I think of the US Championship belt. Um, when I think of McFoley, I think of obviously the Hardcore Championship belt. When I think of the Cruiserweight Championship, it's just me. I think of uh, Spike Dudley as the Cruiserweight Championship belt, the classic Cruiserweight Championship belt. All right, guys. Well, hey, thank you all very much for joining me on the PTP show, Part in the Pipe Bomb. I really do enjoy you guys coming out here. Uh, if you don't want to follow me on Twitter again, I am going to state it because I'm going to keep saying it and, until you do follow me, and hopefully, like you will. But uh, please follow me at PC underscore Flamio 814. I'm not that type of person on Twitter to be posting fake news or trying to get that cheap heel pop. That's not me. Again, please follow me on PC underscore Flamio 814. If you want to leave me a negative five-star review, that would be greatly appreciated. And uh, if you like what you hear, subscribe to me on iTunes. Um, and if you guys enjoyed, maybe I'll see you guys next week. I'll talk to you guys later. And for my eerie friends, I got to say, yeah, buddy. <laughs>